Thank you, Mike and team. Um, you might be wondering why am I here? Well, Pastor Chris is on some much needed vacation. Uh, I'm sure he's sleeping in after uh, Alabama beat uh, Auburn in the Iron Bowl. I was thinking this morning, it's probably good he's not here. He'd be un insufferable in terms of his bragging about his team. Uh, I'm a Penn State fan, so I lick my wounds every week. Um, but uh, the reason why we're here is to talk about real worship and to, to help make that more memorable, we're going to use the letters R-E-A-L as a framework for this service. And in reality, everything we do as a congregation uh, in terms of helping other congregations start or in aiding them in their growth or even in our own growth is because we were made to worship. Have you ever thought about that? What are we made for? We're made for worship. And every congregation that um, is under the name and authority of the Lord Jesus is meant to worship together. And it's also why we do missions. Missions exist because true worship does not exist in so much of the world. There are literally billions of people today that worship or try to worship some god or gods, but uh, if it's not the living God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, it's not true worship. And so that has to change. That's why we send out people to the world to be ambassadors for Christ. Uh, and that's why we're here this morning. Will you pray with me just briefly? Lord, today, may our hearts be gripped with a fresh reality of who you are. May we enter into real worship of you this morning. Amen. Well, the first uh, letter of real is R, and it stands for reverence and awe. In scripture, it tells us to pay attention and give uh, uh, close attention to the public reading of scripture. We're going to actually do that some this morning, and so um, enjoy. I'm gonna read from Revelation 1. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the item, island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. 
In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. When he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So in those words uh, from Revelation written by the Apostle John, you know, it uh, can be a little bit confusing because when Jesus appeared to him and, and John turned around to see him, he was overwhelmed and basically fell down unconscious before the Lord. It took the Lord touching him and saying to him, do not be afraid to bring him out of his unconsciousness. So, you know, if seeing Jesus would wipe us out and yet he needs to touch us to say, do not be afraid, which is it, you know, to fear or not to fear? That's the question. To see God as he really is would wipe us out as well, believe me. If he came here and appeared, we'd be all flat on our faces. Yet, it's clear that God doesn't want us to be afraid of Jesus either. So let's talk about that for a second. In the Old Testament book of Proverbs, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Well, what is the fear of the Lord? Have you ever thought about that? Uh, I remember when I first saw that verse in, in Proverbs, I had no clue what the fear of the Lord meant. And therefore, I had to confess that I had not even begun to experience wisdom. I didn't want to stay in that sort of place, so I did all the study I could of everything in the, in the Bible on the fear of the Lord. You know, when you look at John's life, I mean, John probably knew Jesus as well as anybody on planet Earth. He traveled with him for three years. He heard him teach. He saw him tenderly heal people. He saw people raised from the dead. He observed his huge heart for the human race. John even leaned against Jesus at the Last Supper, and yet, when John, that same John, saw Jesus after his resurrection in all his majesty and glory, it was lights out for him. Jesus had to put his hand on him, reassure him, uh, and say, don't be afraid. In essence, Jesus was saying to him, it's okay. I'm not here to harm you. I won't hurt you. There's an important progression, I think, in our view of God. Now, when we think about the baby Jesus, and we'll be thinking about that a lot uh, over the next month, um, we smile and rightfully so. But when our eyes and hearts are open to the fact that Jesus is the almighty king of the universe, we're stunned, or at least we should be, to look up on a starry night and realize that the one who made all that and holds it all together is alive and he knows us and he's absolutely pure should fill us with awe and wonder and even make us tremble a little bit but then in his tenderness and his kindness, Jesus touches us, reassures us that in Christ we are safe and secure, and he takes away our fear. There's an important balance, I think, to our view of God, and I think we can tend to shift from one uh, side or to the other, and I think we need to maintain this, uh, this balance about God. God is our closest friend, but he's also creator of the entire universe and all its galaxies. He's maker of time and space and eternity. He holds the keys of life and death. He's nearer than our heartbeat, but also he's high and exalted and lifted up on his glorious throne. He's gentle and kind and loving and forgiving, but he's also a God of justice 
who will one day pour out his wrath on sin and upon all those who refuse to turn away from it. No, we're not as God's children to be afraid of Jesus, but we should tremble before him and stand or maybe better yet, like John did, fall before him in awe of his glorious grace. He is the king after all. And I think when we become too casual and too familiar with God and make him in our minds to be a domesticated, tame God, we will one day be overwhelmed and overcome by how powerful, how wild, how free, and how uncontrollable he is. Do you know that God is the one person in the universe over which you have absolutely no control? Do you know this God? Or have you made a God in your own image, one who is easily manageable? You know, one way we can demonstrate our holy awe and fear of God is in how we approach him. Sometimes I believe our approach to God is too noisy and busy and casual. Sometimes we need to just draw near quietly to listen to him and bow our hearts to him. Now, I know we don't do silence very well here in America, even in the church, it makes us very nervous. But this, this one time, and of course, when the lead pastor's gone, the substitute teacher gets to do all kinds of fun stuff, you know. So uh, bear with me. For this one time, we're gonna take 30 seconds of absolute silence. No music, no talking, please. No checking of your cell phones. 30 seconds. And there'll be a scripture on the screen to think about during this time of silence. Please be seated. The next part of the R-E-A-L stands, uh, is E, which stands for enthusiasm and joy. Joy is the expression of a heart that is forgiven and free and wrapped up in the safe, secure arms of our loving God. Now, if worshiping doesn't stir your heart, folks, something's wrong with us, because that's what we were made to do. And uh, in Revelation chapter five, we've kind of been in Revelation this morning, we see an amazing scene in heaven with Jesus, the Lamb of God, being the central figure and focus. Uh, in a moment, we're gonna read that chapter out loud, and the way we'll do it is I'll be the narrator. You'll see uh, my part up on the screen. Uh, and then we're going to have uh, three point time, uh, points of worship. And the first point will be this half of the auditorium, and you'll see Congregation One, that's you guys. And you'll stand, and I'll lead you in worship of the Lord. Then I'll narrate a little more, and then there'll be congregation number two, which is you guys plus the worship team will be standing and saying that. And then there'll be a third part where everybody will be proclaiming, where it talks about every uh, creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth proclaiming. So I would encourage you, whether you're here or online, to do so with great, great gusto. gusto. In fact, even uh, feel free to shout if you want to. That's okay. All right, so... Um, Let's begin, and I will narrate my portion, and then we'll have this group. You're going to love it. You, you do great. Uh, we want to see who's the louder of the two, okay? Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or look into it. 
And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went, that's Jesus, and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now you can stand. And they sang a new song. You don't have to sing, don't worry. Saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people to God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Thank you. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Praise the Lord. Okay, thank you. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever amen and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped and so we should well, the third part of our real worship is the A, which stands for authentic repentance. In, in John chapter 4, Jesus encountered a woman from the country of Samaria who was out to gather water uh, in the middle of the day near her hometown. And Jesus engaged her in conversation, seeking to reveal himself as the Messiah, the one who could give her living water for her soul. Now, interestingly enough, she came up with a theological question at that time. Uh, and the question really stemmed uh, around uh, where you worship God, you know, is it here or there? And Jesus says, it's not really a matter of where, it's a matter of how you worship God. In fact, Jesus said that God the Father is actually looking for a particular type of person to worship him. He told the woman, but the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's no other way to worship God than in spirit and in truth. All other attempts at worship are not true worship of God, no matter how earnest or sincere those efforts might be. To worship God in spirit requires the worshiper to be born of the spirit, that we need to be born again, that we need to have a relationship with Christ, and that Christ's spirit comes to dwell in us, and he empowers us and energizes us in that worship. Worship then 
verse from the heart. And in fact, it says in Ephesians chapter five, uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. That is one of the signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But we also have to worship God in truth. So you can have all the enthusiasm in the world in your worshiping of God, but if the object of your worship is not the true and living God, it's false worship. Tragically, there are billions of people around the world worshiping deeply, devotedly, and fervently God or gods. But if it is not the worship of God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not the worship that God is looking for. It's not true, true worship. In fact, it's a waste of time. Now, throughout the centuries, followers of Jesus have um, appreciated the creeds that the church councils have come up over the years, which are actually recitations of theology of truth about God. They wanted the people to make sure they were worshiping the true and living God. And uh, in 325 AD, the Roman Emperor Constantine called bishops together from all over the Roman Empire to come to the city of Nicaea. And the purpose was because there was a man by the name of Arius who was creating problems. Arius believed that Jesus was not the eternal God. He believed that he was the first and greatest creation of God. Big difference. Uh, and fortunately, that council of Nicaea, as it came to be known, uh, realized that what Arius was teaching was heresy, and the Roman emperor Constantine banished him uh, away. Uh, by the way, it's interesting, the Arian heresy uh, is still around today. It's called the Jehovah's Witnesses cult. Uh, and that's what they believe about who Jesus is. Well, um, we're going to have an opportunity to do something we don't normally do here, and that is we are going to recite together a creed. It's called the Nicene Creed. And I will mention in there, you'll see the statement, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We're not playing favorites with denominations, okay? Um, Catholic means universal. So when you say it, that's what you're saying. Okay, Tyler? All right, we're going to stand up again. We're going to do another one. And uh, Rich said in the first service, this is going to have a little twang to it. I, I like to tell people I speak kings with a southern Appalachian dialect, but it's nowhere near as good as David Wittenberg, so you can ask him after. So let's get into it. And I will try and do it slow. I go a little fast when I'm nervous. So, all right. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Of, of all, all that, that is seen and unseen. And unseen. We, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, of God eternally begotten, begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. 
On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the, and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. 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 Okay, be seated. Thank you, Tyler. Authentic repentance means a true change of mind which results in a change of heart and a change of life. Uh, in a moment, you're going to see three prayers of confession. And what I did is I took some of the main truths of what we're trying to communicate in this session and realizing that not all of us have followed those fully and crafted three prayers of confession that we are going to do, remain seated, uh, we're going to do them out loud uh, together. And then afterwards, I'll give you a, a brief time of silence uh, during which time the Holy Spirit can bring to your mind anything else he wants to that you might need to deal with and confess before the Lord. So uh, if we could have the first one up there. Let's pray from our heart together. Father, I confess that I have not always had a deep reverence and awe of you that you deserve. You are my almighty creator, and I bow before you now. I repent of the sin of having a tame, domesticated view of you and for not fearing you in your majesty, holiness, and glory as you deserve. Forgive me of this sin, O Lord, I pray. Father, I confess that I have, at times, used your name, God, and the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, in a common, profane way. I have taken your name in vain. The name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, is the name above every name. For cheapening that name, and not using my mouth to proclaim your great glory. Forgive me, O Lord, I pray. Father, I confess that many times I have forgotten that you are the all-knowing, all-seeing, and all-holy God. I have taken advantage of your grace and engaged in thoughts, words, and deeds that grieve your heart. I have not obeyed what your word says and just presumed on your forgiveness. For ignoring you or not acting as if you do not matter or do not care or are not there, forgive me, O Lord, I pray. Now we'll take a few moments just for silence. Close your eyes and listen to the Lord if he has anything else he wants to share with you this morning. There is no other God that forgives sins or can forgive sins like our God. 
The Lord's word says that we have received redemption, the forgiveness of sins by Christ's shed blood. Though our sins were as scarlet, they are now white as snow. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. They have been buried in the deepest part of the sea. Our sins and lawless deeds God will remember no more in Christ. We are forgiven and free. Receive this good news, grace and peace. And as we wind up our message this morning, we come to the final part of R-E-A-L, and the L stands for living and holy sacrifice. The apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, I urge you, I urge you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, animal sacrifices were a big part of both pagan religions as well as the Jewish religion in those days, but let's face it, the animals had no choice in the matter, <laughs> uh, and they were presented as a dead sacrifice. God's not looking for that kind of sacrifice anymore. God's looking for a living sacrifice, a willing, voluntary surrender sacrifice of our lives. He invites us to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. And Paul said, this is the acceptable thing to do in light of God's loving, forgiving, caring, merciful actions toward us. It is actually the supreme act of worship to present your body to God this way. We see from Scripture that God wants all of us. He wants our eyes, what we look at. He wants our ears, what we listen to. He wants our mouths, what we say. Our hands, what we do. Our feet, where we go. Our minds, what we think about. Our hearts, what we believe and what we love. And all the rest of us as well. God is asking for that kind of sacrifice. Is that kind of surrender worth it? Can God be trusted with our whole lives? Does he really have our best interests at heart? Paul basically says, look at what God has already done for us, saving us, forgiving us, living on the inside of us, and loving us with all he is. Is this a God you can trust? You know, God's calling you to this place of surrender, but nobody can make that choice for you. It must be voluntary. It's a choice that every one of us faces. But the Apostle Paul, and I will echo him by saying, I urge you, I urge you to make that sacrifice. After nearly 50 years of knowing Jesus, I can say a couple things. No, it has not been easy. Yes, it has been very hard at times, but it's worth it. It's worth it. The Lord, he is God. There is no other. He is alive and well. He's the king who sits on his glorious throne. Nearly 2,000 years ago, this God took on human flesh and was born on planet Earth in a feeding trough in a stable. His name is Jesus the Messiah, the Christ. 
He lived a perfect life and died as the perfect sacrifice to pay for the sins of all us very imperfect people, men and women, young and old. Somebody had to die for your sins and my sins. Somebody had to shed their blood. That was the only way we could ever be forgiven. God could not just snap his fingers, so to speak, and make sin magically disappear. The penalty of sin is death. Somebody had to die. There was no other way for us to be ever be close to God. Because of our sins, we'd been banished from the presence of God. We were lost. We needed to find the way home. We'd been tricked and lied to. We needed to find the truth. And we were spiritually dead, separated from God. We needed to find life. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Do you believe this? We can either accept and believe that Jesus died on our place or we can pay the penalty of death ourselves, not a pleasant alternative. There are only two options. All the good religious works we've ever done or ever will do, do not and will not shift the balance in our favor one bit. So what does shift the balance in our favor? Only the good works of Jesus' perfect life, his death on the cross, taking our place and his victorious resurrection from the dead, that's the game changer. Do you know this God? Do you believe in Jesus? Will you receive this Jesus as the only one who can cleanse, forgive, and restore us? We can receive the gift of eternal life even today. Even today. He who has the Son has the life. But he who does not have the Son does not have the life. Jesus gave us a way to remember his incredible act of love. We call it the Lord's Supper. All who have put their trust in Jesus alone to save and forgive may take part in the Lord's Supper as Jesus' disciples did. Those who have not done so yet should not. Not yet. If you take out your elements, The Apostle Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant. In essence, the new agreement, the new arrangement, the new promise, the new and living way in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Men, thank you so much for being here with us to celebrate the powerful, wonderful 
beautiful name of Jesus together. Thank you, Rich, for bringing a message that was different and hopefully helped us all consider what real worship is in our lives. Uh, if you would like to pray with someone or talk with someone, we will have some people down here in the front. If you need to talk to someone and you're online, just uh, message your chat host and we will get with you. Uh, we love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Bye. Have a great week.